if we let them. And here's my problem. I don't believe they belong in the church. I just don't. I don't believe they have the right to tell us what we can and can't do and how to worship. If it was up to them, we wouldn't be singing. <clears throat> if it was up to them, we'd be wearing masks every time we turn around. We'd never see, you know, as far as I'm concerned, God's glory in man. I mean, it's just impossible. There's just so many aspects of that that are a problem, and I am a little bit perturbed with it. I'm bothered by it, and I'm a little concerned for the future because I believe this is all setting up for something even worse. There's going to come a day when they're going to introduce some kind of illness or something that's literally going to kill more people and actually make an impact in our country that will give them even more what they think a right to tell us how to live and what to do. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, you, just be praying that we get the right leadership. <clears throat> you better be careful what you vote for and how you vote. And if you haven't voted now, you better be thinking about a couple of issues. Life, liberty, and law. You better be thinking about those three things when you hit those polls tomorrow or Tuesday whenever you go, if you haven't already voted. You think about life, not my life, but literally lives, babies' lives. You think about liberty, the freedoms that we now have as a church to function and operate. You think about law and order in our country and the kind of anarchy we have seen in our streets. You realize, depending on who you put in, pro in, in place, will determine the direction of our nation, not to mention what kind of government we become. <clears throat> Notice I said become, because what we are is not what they want. So you go ahead and you, you have the right to vote however you choose. But I'll tell you this much, you better be careful that you vote carefully. <laughs> you better think it through real well, because we are in a battle today, a moral battle for good and evil in our country, right and wrong. It's not about people, it's about ideas and philosophies. I'm telling you, it's, it's terrible. Everybody can get off track. We can all make mistakes. We can all make bad decisions. But the problem is, is that when the philosophy and the mentality and the, the ideas of our nation have been undermined and changed, and we're now going in a different direction, you better be careful because the future of your children and grandchildren are at stake. <clears throat> but anyway... That's just a little extra. And you know what? I'm not ashamed to say it, and I don't think, I think I have every right to say what I'm saying, by the way. So if for some reason somebody thinks, well, you don't have a right as a pastor to say anything about politics. I don't speak much about politics. I don't. But I can tell you this much. We do need to speak a little bit more about it, because I'm telling you, they keep ramming this stuff down our throats. And you know what? It's, if it's up to them, they'll shut every church down in this country if it was up to them. And I'm telling you, there's more at stake here than just simply, you know, the environment or something. This is, about, this is about America as we understand it. It's about a land of opportunity. It's about the opportunity to have freedom, to proclaim the truth, and live the life that God intended us to live. And I, I don't know. We'll see how it all goes. But I can tell you this. Our tax-exempt status is going to be out the window down the road if the wrong kind of regimes get in place. I'm telling you. You know what the, you know what the, uh, the carousel... The carousel alone, this building, you know what the taxes are on the carousel? $30,000 a year. 30000 and that's, that's with a deflated value, by the way. When we purchased the carousel, it was valued at almost $2 million, and that was before anything was done to it. You know what they were paying for taxes at the carousel? 60000 a year. $5,000 a month. Can you imagine if Community Baptist Temple had to come up with $5,000 a month just to keep the doors open? 
I'm going to tell you something. There's bigger issues at stake here than just simply what some, I mean, there's a lot of issues. There's religious liberty at stake. You go ahead and let churches across this country start getting taxed for their, their property values, you'll see churches shutting doors all over the place. And then you tell people, and again, it's not such a big deal under the Trump administration because they've doubled your uh, tax, your, your uh, um, personal exemption. But you go ahead and put that personal exemption back down and then not be able to claim your giving, your charitable giving to your church. See how many people stop giving. I'm telling you, it'll wreck and ruin our churches. It shouldn't, but it will. It will. It'll make a difference. And so we need to be careful. I mean, you need to think things through a little bit before you vote and ask yourself, what's more important to me? And I'm telling you, if God, the church, the word of God, and the freedoms that we've had to proclaim his truth and to reach out to a world where the gospel matter, you better be careful where you put your vote. Now, that's not really political. That's biblical. <clears throat> if you want me to get political, you can nail me down later when I can talk to you as an individual. I'd be more than happy to tell you where I stand on things. But I tell you what, as a pastor, I'm very concerned. Very concerned. Um, it was not that many years ago out there in uh, is either California or Texas, there was a mayor there that was... Uh, telling preachers that they couldn't preach on certain subjects and ultimately confiscated their messages and would threaten to throw them in jail for it. Let me tell you something. You think that's an isolated situation? That was to see how people would respond. Can I tell you that that happened a number of years ago? If it happened today, I bet you wouldn't have near the kickback that they had then. We are being conditioned to believe that Christianity is a bunch of fanatics. They're out of their minds. Well, we're not out of our minds. We ought to be in the spirit. We ought to be in the word. And boy, I tell you what, we're the only ones. We are the salt of the world. If the salt loses its savor, we got issues. And we see what's going on right now. Unfortunately, the salt's losing its savor. Let's make sure that we are influencing our neighborhoods and our neighbors and others around us. Let's make sure that we're the force to be reckoned with. And if we'll do that, then maybe we can turn the tide just maybe God will send another revival and prolong our country's existence. Because at the rate we're going, we're not sure where it's going to end up, do we? We just don't know. I'm not trying to be gloom and doom, but I'm just saying we're not really heading in a very good direction these days. But can I tell you, God's still on the throne. And honestly, I'm going to go to bed tonight and I'm going to sleep fine. And I'm going to sleep fine on Tuesday night. No matter who gets voted in, I'm telling you that right now. I am going to sleep well because I'm not trusting in man. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And you know what? We need to do that. And yet you need to make your vote. You need to be heard. So get out there Tuesday and vote, okay? I know I sound like a, what, a promotional video now or something, right? All right, Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> but get out there. Let your voice be heard. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. There was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? 
Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region of round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. <clears throat> but Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. She ministered unto them. And in even, the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. We see Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And as we roll on to 23 through 25, we note that he's casting out demons. The Bible tells us that his fame spread abroad. I mean, he couldn't just, you couldn't keep that down. I mean, people just started talking and it just kind of caught like wildfire. Can you imagine if they had Twitter in those days? So his fame spread abroad, and then we see him leaving. He goes on into Peter's house, uh, goes into Simon's house, and, and we see his mother-in-law there sick. They, 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 they tell him how sick she is, and he takes her by the hand, and ultimately he heals her. Then it says that the city basically gathered together. All those that were sick came unto him. Why? Because they wanted healed. They wanted delivered. It just seems to me that every time we turn around, Jesus Christ is extremely busy. Every time we look at his life, he's bombarded with needs. Every time we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, he has no time to himself. It's always for others. What in the world is Jesus going to do? He was a mere man. The God-man, but don't discount his flesh. He had the same flesh that you had. He had the same weaknesses that you had. He had the same body that you had. He understood what being tired was. He knew what being frustrated was. He knew what the weight of the world felt like on his shoulders. Sometimes we get the idea that, of course, Jesus could stay busy. He was supernatural. Of course, Jesus could continue to go day and night because he was God. Jesus was different than me. Jesus was completely different. No, he wasn't. He had the same physical limitations that you and I have. My friend, what was Jesus to do? Where was he to go? How was he to get a break? What kind of relaxation would he find? Where would he find peace, comfort, and refueling? Well, verse 35 gives us the answer. After everything he'd been through, after all that he's been doing now, teaching in the synagogue, casting out demons, fame abroad, and people listening and hearing about his feats of, of, of healing and everything else, he, they, didn't, they just bombard him. 
He doesn't get any time to rest. What does he do? How does he handle it? What steps does he take to be refueled and refreshed? Verse 35. And in the morning, rising a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. You know, one thing I've noticed in my life in ministry is the marked difference between our culture's mentality toward rest and refueling and Christ mentality. There's a marked difference in, in, in how we approach the need for rest. I mean, the, the means by which we rest, even. You know, most people's idea of effective downtime includes things like sun tanning by the pool for hours. You should see me with a good tan. It's amazing. Simply amazing. I, one of the young people were talking about being at a, uh, over in California for one of their great vacations this morning. We're talking about what your favorite vacation was. That's what we talked about in class. And they talked about California, and I said, when you were there, did you see me on Muscle Beach? No, you didn't, because I didn't look anything like I do now, because I was buff then. <laughs> but suntanning by the pool for hours, enjoying exotic food and drinks. I mean, things like downtime includes things like attending a spectacular show or event, indulging in a movie marathon. Have you ever binged on a show before? Okay, don't get spiritual on me now. I mean, if you ever decide, you know what, I want to watch one of these, you know how they have those little series or something, and you'll just, like I was watching one of those, I don't know, PBS shows the other day, and man, I mean, it had like six or seven of them, and the whole, it was the whole show, it wasn't really a series, but it was a show, it was one of them set in Victorian period and all that. Some of the guys, they think I'm really weak sauce, because I, you know, but uh, you know, I'm really comfortable in my skin, you know what I mean? I'm, 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 I'm confident in my masculinity. Got to watching that thing, you know, and they're like 45-minute episodes, and I just, man, I just get locked in. If I'm not careful, man, I could sit there a long time. Rest, downtime, relaxation, some people, you know, we consider that. What about going out shopping on a shopping spree or something? That's really nice. That's a way to relieve stress till you get the bill. Maybe going and playing golf or something like that, Right? I mean, we have our ideas, we've, we've got our thoughts, we've been conditioned to believe that, you know, effective downtime is like getting away from the normal routine, and can I tell you, it can be, and it can be profitable, and it can be helpful, no doubt about that. But during Jesus' earthly ministry, he had somewhat of a different solution for finding the refreshment and refueling that he needed. I mean, he took time away, yes, he did. He took time away from the demands of the crowd and from the demands of ministry, from the pressures of the ministry even, and there were pressures on him, but he didn't lounge on the beach. He didn't turn to worldly entertainment to find that rest and strength that he necessarily, that he that desperately needed. Instead, what did Jesus do? Well, the Bible tells us in many places that he would go to a mountain alone to pray or he'd rise up early in the morning and he'd spend some time with his heavenly father. In the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 46, the Bible says, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And in this particular case, we saw here that he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. 
in many situations, many circumstances, we see Christ taking the time to move away, to get away, to be by himself, to reach out to the Heavenly Father. That was his time to refresh. That was his way of resting and preparing for the next phase of ministry. I mean, he carried more weight on his shoulders than you and I can even imagine. And again, I know it's easy for us to sit back and somehow look at Jesus Christ and kind of, you know, pass it off as being, well, he was God. But I'm telling you, he had the same physical limitations that you and I had. He knew that the only way to really gain strength for the battles ahead to fight the battle that he was called to fight, to live the life that he was required to live, was to spend time alone with God. That's the only way. Now that would translate for you and I to spending time in the word of God, spending time in prayer in our life. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing some practical things in order to refuel and recharge. There's nothing wrong with a round of golf necessarily. There's nothing wrong with taking a hike or going out into the mountains. There's nothing wrong with taking a family vacation. Those are all wonderful things, and they can be extremely profitable. But when we begin to think that those things can substitute for time with the Lord, that they can bring us the joy, the peace, the purpose, the power, the essential nutrients and needed to overcome temptation in our life, to be victorious over Satan, then we got a problem. When we think that we're getting burned out and we're being overwhelmed with the world and the solution is to always turn to the world and its entertainment, my friend, we have missed the mark and we have failed to understand how we are truly spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings. I love a, a, a nice long walk. I like a refreshing bike ride. I, I, I like conversation with a friend. I, I, a good old-fashioned, as I said, family vacation. You can't beat it. I give advice to pastors from time to time that will ask me some things they can do to help them in their ministry. There's two things I tell them often. I'll say, one, if you get a day off, you guard it with your life because you're working six days if you get one day off. You're, you are going to work. And by the way, can I tell you, preaching four times on a Sunday Preparing for hours for lessons on that same day. Not only that, but teaching Bible colleges and going out and teaching Bible lessons to the kids, doing different things like that. People can say, well, that's easy. That's, that's office work. I'm going to tell you, it's a strain on people. If you've got a young pastor down the road one day and, and they're involved in the ministry and they're giving their life to the ministry and they're out there knocking the doors, they're trying to reach people with the gospel, they're preparing two and three and four messages a week. Let me tell you something. There is a burden there that they're going to have to bear. It's not easy work. And if they get a day off during the week, and that's a wonderful thing, and they ought to guard it with their lives, and then they need to take a family vacation and get away from the ministry completely. I, listen, you know what? When I would leave on family vacation, I didn't care if this church burned down. I didn't care what happened. There was a part of me that said, you know what? I'm trusting God with it. It'll be fine, whatever. It'll be okay. Because I had to get away, and I didn't. Listen, it's huge. It's huge. Some of my greatest, fondest memories are on our vacations. 
What a wonderful thing for your children to have you all by themselves with no interruptions, including the stupid phone. I'm sorry, but let me tell you something. When you got that connected to your ear, your face, they do not have you. You remember that when you go on vacation next time. If I were you, I'd check my phone certain times, but I would not keep it on me all the time. I'd call back to the church a couple times a week, and I mean that, a couple times a week. I'd say, if you need me, you call me, but otherwise, I'm not calling you. It's important. Those things are wonderful to get away. They're wonderful. And you need to guard your time. If you get some time off, guard some time with your family. Don't let other people steal that time with you. Take those walks. Get off the television set for a while and go do something with your family. Well, you know, we're all big on the old, you know, Friday night, you know, pizza night, watch a movie. Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I get that. Take a hike every once in a while. Load all your bikes up into the back of your van and stuff everybody in between. Head on out to the park and take a bike ride. Do some things that they want to do. They'll appreciate it. You will too. It's a lot of work at first, isn't it? But you know what that turns into? Relaxation. <laughs> it's fun. I don't know. It, it does. It costs something at first. It's like coming to church. Sometimes you don't feel like coming to church. Then once you've been here, you go, well, I'm sure glad I came. Now, I just say all that for this reason. If we're not careful, though, we get to thinking that spending time with my family is the only way I'm going to rest. You know what your family needs from you, sir, more than anything else? A spiritual dad, a spiritual husband. You know what they need more from you, mom, than anything else? A spiritual mom, a spiritual wife. We're spending, we spend so much time kind of following the, the world's pattern in this area. You know, work's been difficult. It's been tough. So what I need to do is I just got to go to Amish country a couple days. Can I, can, I, can I encourage you not to forget your Bible? Amen. Don't forget your Bible at Amish country. Amen. Do you know what the temptation is when we take time off from our schedule? It's that because we're out of our schedule, we forget him. Do you know, it's so much harder to read your Bible when you're off than it is when you're working. I don't know why that is. Do you notice that too? I, I, it's amazing. I, I get time off and I think I should be really getting rested and relaxed and half the time I'm more stressed than ever. And you want to know why one of the biggest reasons is if I forget to open this book, if I forget to spend time with him, if somehow I believe that that time off is what I need more than him, I got a problem. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. My wife and I, we've taken up bike riding. We've got this great plan to go across the country to the East Coast on our bikes. What are you laughing about? <laughs> it's in the planning stages. It's been there a few years. We're working on it. <laughs> That'd be great to do it, though, wouldn't it? Be kind of expensive. See, when I start thinking about the cost drives, I mean, that's, the other day, I'm, we, you want to see how cheap I am? Let me tell you a little bit how cheap I am. <laughs> My wife kills me. She's not in here. She's at the nursery. But she, we're, we're over there. We went to a restaurant the other day, right? 
twice a year, about twice a year, we run out to the barn out in Wooster, right? It's kind of expensive, I know, but we decided to run out there. And, and so, and now you know what I just said? Some of you are going, expensive? That ain't that bad but, but for me. Okay, but anyway, so, so I head out there, right? And so we're sitting there, we're looking at the menu. Now, they've raised their prices on, on, the, buff, on the, the salad bar. They got some great soups, by the way, there too. So instead of it being, because last time I was there, it was 1050. Now it's 1250. Uh, yeah, exactly. My, exactly. My center, whoa. 1250 for a salad bar and some soup? Are you kidding? So what do I do? I start looking at the menu trying to figure out how I can get me a sandwich and the salad bar and how much difference it is. So I found out for a dollar and 50 cents extra, I can get me a big third pound burger with it. So I start weighing it out. The only problem is, do you know what the problem is? I like cheese, but that was 25 cents extra. And I said, man, I, I'm just going to go with the burger. And she goes, well, you like cheeseburger, don't you? I said, yeah, but it's 25 cents extra. She said, Mark, it's 25 cents. I'm like, I know, exactly. I mean, this is the battle that I fight with my, in my life all the time. I mean, you talk about stress, right? But we have to be careful. And, and again, we did. We had a wonderful time. We go out there, and they got this little lake you can walk around. So we walked. Now, my wife, she's in this challenge right now, okay? Yeah, she's in a challenge with some of the singles. And they're, they're like going crazy. They're all trying to get, whoever wins gets all the money. You know how that goes. But the girls actually work. Remember, guys, you were trying to lose weight and you didn't? But the girls actually work at this. The guys know what I'm talking about. There was these guys, you know, in our church. They were like, we're going to lose weight, you know. And like two of them worked at it, you know, out of the whole crew. They gave up after three days. This is a challenge that goes on for like six weeks, and the girls are going crazy. I mean, they're really, they're, they're like on it. I mean, they're on it. And so, you know, we're out there, you know, we have this dinner there out there. It was beautiful last night, you know, so we went and tried to get out there. I think we left at like 5 o'clock or something, wanted to be back for the house State game. <laughs> Got to have priorities. So we took off, we went out there, we ate, and then they had that beautiful track. We went out there and started walking around, just enjoying it. And my wife, see, she's, she's in the challenge, so she's speeding up. Before it's over with, we're like, I'm like, come on, this is supposed to be leisurely. I mean, we're supposed to be enjoying this time. We're taking a break. She's going to win the challenge, though. Everything's competition in my house. It's always like that. You know, it's crazy. But you know, Jesus, when he gets burdened down in his life, when he is burdened by the ministry and burdened by life and burdened by the needs of others, he finds time to get alone with the Lord. And you know, I, I mean, that's really what we're talking about. I mean, we just need to take some time to get alone with him. And you know, the next time you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, instead of turning to some worldly means of amusement, and again, we're prone to do that because that's what we've been taught to do. That's how we've been programmed. I mean, you've got to buy a boat. You've got to get out on the lake, right? I'm not opposed to it. But the Bible is very clear. If we really want to find rest and refreshment in our life, we want to be refueled the way God intended, man, we've got to get along with him. That's all. It's really that simple. So 
what, just out of curiosity, how, what steps can we take to ensure that we're refreshed and refueled each day? Because it is a daily thing. We have to stay refueled. First of all, be consistent. Just be consistent. You know, there's a thing called physical atrophy. It often takes place, you know, after a part of our body has possibly been placed in a cast, maybe a broken arm or leg or something, and then this, this so-called atrophy has a tendency to kind of set in. And what we're talking about is there's a deterioration, there's a weakness that comes about as a result of it being immobilized for so long. Bo Jackson was one of the greatest athletes to ever play professional sports. He was an amazing athlete. He was multi-talented. After winning the Heisman Trophy at Auburn his senior year, he entered the NFL. But he was also drafted by the Kansas City Royals, a major league baseball team. Now, most athletes at that point, they have to make a choice. There's no way they can do both, okay? Usually, they're not good enough to do both, and especially both at the same time. But Bo Jackson was. He chose both football and baseball, and he was so good that they both put up with it. He played baseball for the Royals and football for the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders. <laughs> I saw they won today. But anyway, you know who they played, right? Cleveland. So anyway, he played for the Royals and he played for the football team Oakland Raiders. Well, he'd play football with the Raiders on Sundays, then he would fly to wherever they were playing. The Royals, the baseball team was playing, and he would play baseball too. And there were certain times of the year that he could be a little bit more involved. There were other times he was trying to work both of them in, but either way, he was that talented. ESPN did a documentary on the injury that ultimately brought a sudden end to Bo Jackson's career. While he was playing one afternoon on the football field, he was running down the sideline, and he was tackled from behind. Because he was running at such a fast rate and he got hit with such a velocity, the tackler caught his legs and they pulled, kind of twisted the other way. And when that happened, his hip was dislocated. So he would lay there on the field writhing and it wasn't really that painful 100%, but for him, because football players are pretty tough guys, but he knew he was hurt and he was injured. He laid on the ground and he couldn't move and he was in, in a lot of pain. And they say that when he turned over to get up, they tried to turn him over to get up, his hip slid back into place. Now, the trainers checked him out. They looked into it. He went to the sideline. Uh, he, he had some discomfort in the hip, but as a whole, it wasn't that awfully bad. He began to rehab it and tried to work on it, but time after time, day after day, week after week, month after month, things just didn't seem to be working. His hip kept losing strength. He just couldn't keep his strength, and he kept losing strength as he went along. So, after time, they did an MRI finally. And what they concluded was that when he rolled over onto his back and his hip went back into place, some blood vessels were pinched. And as a result, there was no blood able to get into his hip socket. And over time, all life in that socket died. And the career of an amazing athlete was over for good. Tragic end to an amazing potential career. He still had a great career, but it was short-lived. Now, again, you and I may think somehow that missing a day of Bible reading 
won't necessarily hurt that much. After I mean, what's the big deal about being in church every service? I mean, it's not that important, right? But you know what? When we do that, we're denying ourselves that life flow that's necessary for our spiritual health. Man, I'm telling you what, it's the blood flow. I mean, we get into the Word of God and we get on our knees in prayer. We get into the house of God or in that Sunday school classroom and we get fed and we get spiritually fed, I should say. And, and, and the, 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 the spiritual nutrients come from heaven and they just, just infuse with our spiritual person and we're strengthened and we're stronger than ever because of it. But let that cease for a moment. And you know what happens? Spiritual atrophy, deterioration, weakness. See, if you're not growing, you're slowing. And it'll ultimately cause you to drop the shield of faith. And once you drop that shield of faith, I'll guarantee you, you're a prime target for the fiery darts of the wicked one. You got to keep the nutrients of God's word flowing into your life. Every day, consistently, constantly, it's so important. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, a new, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. So you need, a schedule, you need to schedule a time. Evening, morning, and at noon I will pray, I will cry, and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice, the psalmist said. Psalm 55, 17. What, when do you meet with the Lord? And again, that's, that's just the question that you need to answer in your own mind. When do you meet with him? You say, well, I try to do this, and I try to do that. You know what I found? That unless I schedule things, they usually don't get done. If, if they're not important enough for me to put them down on a schedule, then they're probably not important enough for me to remember them when I don't have the schedule. I'm just saying, we need to schedule a time. Not only that, but you need to secure a place. In Psalm 91.1, the Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Hey, listen, you're busy in this world. You're busy. You're overwhelmed at times with the world, with life, with relationships. Hey, listen, that's humanity. That's what we deal with. The truth is, is that all of these inventions that have been made are supposed to make our life more leisurely, make it, give us more time to relax, but they don't. We are more burdened and more pressured than ever. People are more stressed than they've ever been in the history of the United States. You have people that are over the top. I talked to a wonderful, young, a wonderful woman in our neighborhood the other day, and she told me, she said, I believe that these children in our neighborhoods and in our school system here are extremely depressed. And I thought, children that are depressed. How sad if a commentary. the stress levels that they feel, the, the culture in which they live. There's too much information. They know too many things. And you know what we do too at times, it seems. And boy, I tell you, it's overwhelming. The question is, how are you going to find relief? How are you going to refuel? Get a couple of bikes and go bike ride. Nothing wrong with that. Take a hike through the park. Man, it's beautiful this time of year. Go out to dinner. Yeah, watch a show even. Make sure it's a decent show, but watch a show. But if you're depending on that to help you refuel, to really fill 
you with the strength you need to overcome the tempter, to be victorious in your Christian life, to have the power to stand in the midst of the storms of life. If that's what you're depending on, I'm telling you, that rest goes away like that. You say, boy, I feel pretty good, and you get hit square in the face with an issue, and boom, you feel like you're right back in it again. Well, we gotta come out every day out of the presence of God with a new and fresh look. We need to be like Moses coming out of the mount and have the glory of God on us. Be consistent. Number two, be creative. You know, if we were honest with ourselves, we could probably say that the Bible seems somewhat dry and lifeless to us at times. Depends on what book of the Bible you're reading too, right? Shouldn't be that way, but it's true with us, isn't it? If we're not careful, we can get kind of, I don't know, kind of bored with the Bible even. It sounds almost like, and that sounds, I hate to even say that, you know, but it's true, isn't it? Again, I don't say that as an indictment upon the word of God. That's not, but on us who, are, who basically are dried and shriveled up at times spiritually. And so when we read the Bible even, it just doesn't really do a whole lot for us. It's not God's word's fault. It's our fault. See, the word of God is always alive. It's always exciting to the believer if we are equally animated spiritually toward it. One of the reasons that the Bible becomes so lackluster is that we get into a rut sometimes. You know, we do the same exact thing every day. And again, I'm all for consistency. I am, trust me. But the truth is, is that, you know, well, I'm going to read a chapter and then I'm going to pray for five minutes. I'm going to read two chapters. I'm going to pray for 10 minutes. I'm going to read three chapters. I'm going to pray for 20 minutes. It's the same thing every day. We just do the same routine every day. We don't break it up. We don't change it up. Can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with being a little creative in your Bible time. You don't always have to read through the Bible from A to Z. You don't always have to just, and by the way, this isn't a good way to do it. Just let it fall open. That's not the way to do it. But you know what? There's nothing wrong from time to time to go, you know what, Lord, I just need you to take me somewhere to make an impact in my life. Right now, again, changing it up a little bit. Lord, I'm going to, boom. You say, that's crazy. I've done it. Sometimes I just need something a little bit different. And I want God to speak to me just like you do. And sometimes I just feel like, well, I'm just going to break it up a little bit. What about maybe getting a, a devotional? And, I, and I, listen, can I tell you, I would go to the bookstore and find a devotional. I wouldn't necessarily just get online and order anything. I'd spend time, maybe memorize some scripture as part of your, your routine. Instead of just reading and praying every day. Read, pray, read, pray, read, pray, read, pray. Go ahead and memorize a scripture. Take a little time. Insert that into your, your, your daily routine. How about take some notes or, or journal your thoughts? You know, just a few ideas. Be a little more creative with your time with God. It gets boring if you're not careful. It's kind of road. It's just the same old, same old. And it's not that that's wrong. If you're consistent with that and you are fed by that and you find the, the strength you need and the nutrients, spiritual nutrients that you need, praise God for that. But you know what? In our humanness sometimes, we kind of like a little bit of Variety. We often say it's the spice of life. Incorporate a good biography or an inspiring book even. Man, instead of maybe taking uh, and watching TV all night, take a half hour and read a chapter of a book about a great man or woman of God. Do things to help make being fed even kind of more exciting in your life. Special. There's all kind of things we can do. 
but what we do need to do. The only necessity is we need to spend time in his word and we need to spend time in his presence. And then finally, be careful. Just be careful. You know, the devil would love to distract you and I. He'd love to distance us from the Savior. The further away from God he can get us, the better he is. You know, in war or any other kind of battle, you know, a lot of times the enemy will wait for the rest of, for, for the, 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 the uh, squad to kind of pass and they'll pick the guy in the end off. The guy right in the back. This is the guy at the back. If he gets too far behind, let me tell you, he's done. You got to be careful because the further away from, from the, 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 the Lord you get, the further away from your father that you get, the more vulnerable you and I become. Satan is our enemy. He is our adversary, and he is a worthy adversary. You know the passage in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's seeking whom he may devour. That means there's some that he's not going to take that chance with because he doesn't think he's got as good a chance to devour. He's seeking those who he can devour. Well, how close are you to the master? Can I tell you that nobody ever died in the presence of Jesus Christ? I never see it in the Bible. I never see where anybody died when they were in the presence of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, as long as you're close to Christ, you can have victory over the flesh. You can have victory over sin and Satan. The truth is, is that when I get away from God and I allow the, my life to be distanced from him, when I'm not consistently in the word of God and in prayer and on my knees and memorizing scripture and truly seeking his, his nutrients and his wealth of information and just, uh, just everything that he has for me, guess that's when I'm vulnerable. I'm just like you. We're just human. We're flesh. Go ahead and stop eating a while and see how weak you get. I stop eating for one meal and I get weak. <laughs> His greatest desire is to wreck and ruin your life. It really is. Have you ever really thought about that? How much Satan wants you to fail? It's funny to me, these young couples, they'll get married, and the next thing you know, they throw God out the window. Do you realize how wonderful that is for Satan? Do you realize how much he wants you to neglect God because the truth is he wants you to fail? I have never known a marriage not to be stronger when both were rooted in Christ. I've seen some get pretty weak when they weren't, though. You, you, you say, our marriage was a lot stronger before we ever knew the Lord as our Savior. Nuh-uh. Right. Our marriage was stronger before we ever got in church. That church has wrecked our marriage. No, 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 no. When I, before I read the Bible, my marriage was good. The moment I started reading the Bible, eh, the only way that's the case is if you know, you're, you're a heathen and your wife started reading the Bible, she got saved and you didn't, then you may feel like it's coming between the two of you. But if both of you are in the word of God, don't tell me that your marriage was better before you both got in the word. No, that don't happen. Do you know how many marriages are saved by getting into church? And when I say getting into church, I hope that that translates to getting into a relationship with the Lord. Sadly enough, that's not always the case. 
The sad reality is, and I have to close, but the sad reality is, is that so many times we end up in church as a means by which to fix our problem, not a means by which to get right with God. And because we don't get right with God, our problem is only, there's only a band-aid on it because see, problems in our marriages and problems in our lives are literally, (laughs) they're our problem. It's us that needs fixed. It's not your marriage that needs fixed, it's you. Because it's without you, there is no marriage. But the marriage itself is a result of two people and their decisions amongst with each other. So the truth is, if you've got a marriage problem, you're probably a big pro- pro- problem. You're probably a big part of it, excuse me. So quit trying to fix your marriage and start focusing on yourself. And then encourage your mate to try to work together to get better for God. I'm telling you that our problem in our marriages is not that we have a marriage problem. We have a personal relationship problem with him. Because if I get right with him, guess what? Things will start to get better with me and others. Now, again, I understand there's exceptions to rules. Everybody wants to, well, I try to get right, but my husband don't want to get right. You know what? You might be surprised how wrong you are about that. I don't want to go into it, and I don't have time because this isn't a counseling session. But I'm going to tell you something. You do not get any better rest. You are never more refreshed. You are never strengthened any more than when you get into this book and you get in the presence of Jesus Christ. Don't let the devil get you away from this. Of all things, of all things, my wife spends time in her Bible. And you know what? She spends a lot more time than a lot probably. But can I tell you something? I never find myself going, you always spend all that time in the Bible. What about me? What about me? I'm home now. Why in the world would you spend time in the Bible? You're studying those stupid lessons for the kids or coming up with games for the buses and... I don't do that. You want to know why? Because what makes her such a wonderful wife is that she has that relationship with the Lord. I take that from her and I'd be in real trouble. She wouldn't be a good wife to me, maybe. She wouldn't be as submissive. She wouldn't be as yielded. She wouldn't be as loving and caring and as concerned. She wouldn't be as selfless. Better be careful what you ask for. I want my wife to be totally sold out to the Lord. And if she is, she'll be a great, great wife. And she is a great wife, by the way. Anyway, be consistent. Be creative, be careful. Because the devil's going to try to get you out of that book. Spend 24 hours a day with your family. You'll be making a big mistake if you neglect him. You'd be better off to say, kids, wife, I need to spend some time with him, and then I'm all yours. You'll find that you'll feel stronger, more refreshed, ready to face the day with a positive outlook able to deal with every circumstance and situation when you walk out of his presence. On January the 25th, 1990, Avianca Flight 52 from Columbia crashed just 15 miles short of New York's Kennedy International Airport, killing 73 passengers. You want to know the reason? The plane just ran out of gas. It ran out of gas. Under international regulations, An airline has to carry enough fuel to reach its destination as well as its assigned alternate. And then they require another 45 minutes of fuel 
for just in the event that they get held up somehow due to the low fuel condition the Avianca pilots had requested priority landing instead of emergency landing. Because the exact word emergency wasn't used, and due to the heavy traffic and bad weather conditions, they put Avianca on a, 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 just a holding pattern. And there it flew, round and round and round until it simply ran out of gas and crashed. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Don't run out of gas. You will crash. And it'll cost your life. It'll cost your family's lives. Don't run out of gas. Make sure you're refueling. And make sure you're refreshing consistently, creatively, and being very careful along the way. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you do for us and all that you mean to us. We pray that you would just... Continue to encourage us in the things of the word of God. 